You are listening to the Future Drive Podcast. I'm Jermaine Muller, your host, and every episode I have conversations with great people working on even greater things, and you get to listen in. We talk about where they got started. Oh my goodness, like, I can't believe this is happening. Like, I'm going to work in TV. How do I, how do I even, like, I don't know how to present. <laughs> what do I do? What they've done. I started uh, paying me at home with, with no clients. I think uh, within the first six months, we had $600,000 turnover. The next uh, year, it was $9 million and then $15 million. The lessons they have learnt. But we did not get the grant. And we're about two weeks out and $20,000 down. And much, much more. I hope you enjoy. Hello, Future Tribe. Welcome to another episode. On this one, we have Liana from Base Soaps. Tell me a bit, a bit, a bit about what you guys do, uh, Liana. Yes, yeah, sure. Um, thank you very much for having me on the podcast. So my um, company um, is called yeah, Base Soaps, which I um, run together with my uh, my life and business partner Mick, and we produce and sell bar soap, uh, shampoo bars, conditioner bars, and also liquid soaps and um, shaving soap. And yeah, Base Soaps is a social enterprise. Um, we started we started this in early 2017 as mm-hmm. a um, as we felt very excited to um, about the idea of starting a, a family business um, kind of a on the side business at the time and Mick had been um, had made soaps a few years earlier as a as a Christmas present for his brother and so he had kind of had looked into it and knew how to do it so yeah we decided that would be a good a good idea for for a small business and and just started from there why why soaps um i i when i think about soaps i think of you know it's in sort of the fast moving consumer goods section of the market and from what i understand about soaps um just like a lot of commodity products you really need to be selling at mass to make any sort of actual money and have a business um, around it. You know, um, Unilever, for example, is, is a company that comes to mind when I think about soaps. Why, why did you guys think, you know, you want to get into, into that, that sort of game? <laughs> well, at the time, we really were in, in, in a, like a, the, the big business mind space at all. We, we just wanted something that would enable us to start a business that would also enable us to start quite on a small scale because we, we had a little baby and we had a mortgage so we didn't want to be, we were risk averse, I guess. And yeah, because, um, so Mick's a chemist by trade. So he, for soap making, you don't have to be, but it does come in handy, you know, a bit better how things react the way they do and things like that. So we felt like that was for us a good way to start. And and you're right. I think it does, it, you'd have to really have to sell it on master to make it like the big money, but you know, businesses come in all sizes and for us this was just a good a good way to start and yeah sort of get your foot in even sort of start playing around with the idea of having your own business i guess in a way that um is not going too big too soon but sort of starting off with something so no i get what you mean it's i guess business doesn't always have to be about making money or making huge huge profits it can it can be about you know making some decent money and having something that you can do on the side um you mentioned when you guys started in 2017 that this it was more of a side hustle is that fair to say yes because well because it was so small and and it takes um uh, 
few years usually with the small business to make any profits we were we had other jobs and we were um, yeah as a, an extra thing to start so were you sort of working full were both of you working full time and then doing this after hours to start off with or um so i was working part-time at, we were both um working part-time so yeah that did give us a bit more space to, to do this as well yeah, yeah because i could imagine that um there would have been a lot of experimentation at the start let alone thinking about the whole marketing side of things but you would have had to experiment with um compositions and you know flavors for the lack of a better word sort of the the different options how did you make those decisions initially did you just sort of go with one skew or did you have did you just open up with a whole bunch of options for customers yeah so right from the start i had in my mind that i wanted it to be a very kind of a simple and clean brand with not too many options so we started with three and i remember the the one that we really wanted to start with was lemon myrtle and uh, because i don't know i think a lot of people really like that and it's always been one of our most popular products so that was one that was done we were like we were doing that one and the other two i can't quite remember but i think we just played around and and got some feedback when we started we had one store in our hometown of pangandor that we knew was interested in selling it so we would have got feedback from them and, and you know thought about what, what we wanted to make and uh, yeah just went from there and it very quickly it already banded out to i think six parts six different scents because so because we were like thinking oh this is a nice one too and this is a nice one too so <laughs> we didn't make, keep it as simple as i had in my mind but you know you want to cater for everyone and um yeah, and we started quickly using different types of exfoliant as well. We used like walnut shell and macadamia shell, and so they're all yeah quite different types of soap. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So you mentioned that uh, your hometown's Bungendore, so still Canberra region, but is the business based out of Bungendore then? Um. So yeah, our business is still at our at our um, home, and that is in Bungendore. We do have um, a lot to do in Queanbeyan as well. We have the storage there. And yeah, most of it is done in, in Queanbeyan and Canberra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How's that been? So you still produce it out of Bungendore, you then take it in and you you don't have your own store, you just have a retailers who sell the product for you. Is that correct? That's right, yeah. We have an online store only and the rest it's all um, other stores and it used to be markets as well, not so much these days. Yeah. But- Give us an idea of, um, so when you mentioned you, you guys started in 2017, um, how old were the both of you, just to give us an idea of, you know, the stage of life you were in, if you don't mind me asking. So we were, um, I was 32, Mick was 35. And we, so we had, um, uh, my oldest uh, daughter, she was born in 2015. So we had a, a baby that was yeah, yeah, one wow. over, over one year old. And that's, I guess, after the one year, we kind of felt like we were starting to get back to normal again, getting out of that, that baby um, chaos <laughs> in our lives. So like we had a little bit more space um, to start doing this. Yeah. And so Mick, you mentioned was a, is a chemist. So he, he brings that skill. What did you feel like you brought in sort of initially or what, what, what did you handle? How did you, I guess what I'm trying to understand is how you can balance this out, sort of working with a partner. Um, you know, you mentioned, you put it really nicely. He's your business and life partner, but I'm sure that that adds a, 
level of challenge because you've got to put up with each other and you know <laughs> you don't want to bring you don't want to bring fights at home into work but you don't have the option especially when you're when you're working and operating the business out of your out of your home or close to home what what did you bring into this and um how do you handle that dynamic um so my background is a business i've got a business degree so that fit very well together it was still a big learning curve because I'm, I'm originally from the netherlands so things are a bit um, different i suppose but yeah i did have the skills and um yeah working together i mean it's i guess it has evolved over the years and we we had to find out the best way to do this and you're right our business is our home so there's really not any any um separation there um which which works for us like we can like we can separate it ourselves um we don't talk about business all the time but we do it at you know times that maybe other people wouldn't like at night or you know at other times of the day but yeah it's, it just really works that well for yeah us. i mean it, there's no one size fits all rule right um i guess that's the beauty with business you can especially when you are the the founder or the founders you can just make it what you want you can decide if you want to um go really big and go to multiple retailers or big retailers you can decide if you want to talk about it at breakfast or only talk about it for four hours of the day that you want to work or you know um that that's i guess the the beauty and the the freedom sort of that that comes with business do you think that was one of the reasons you wanted to get into business was it sort of that taking or being able to take control and uh direct the life uh, direct your life in the way that you wanted to yes yeah it was it was we yeah it's just the thought of, of doing something that was totally new for us and exploring that together and learning from it i think was what, what really drove us to start what were some of the milestones thinking back to your first sort of how long do you think it took you to um really get traction and and what what did that sort of take um not not just in time but in terms of effort what did you have to do do you think to hit a point at which you felt like okay you know we're starting to get traction and people are starting to hear about us and we're starting to you know starting to snowball yeah so um in our first year we like i said we did a lot of 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 markets which we don't really do anymore um it was a good way to get us out there and to to meet people and and to to learn about our customers and we we're still doing um camera handmade market which is a large um marketing yeah camera um and People are always coming back to that because they know we're there, and, and they they every time the market's on, they come they come in to buy soap. So, so that's one way um, we really got ourselves out there. When things really started changing for us was when we also started to focus on wide label manufacturing, so uh, making soap for other brands, and this is something we're actually focusing on a lot more these days, and. Um, yeah so and that that's that has kind of really changed things around for us because those orders are quite a lot larger than kind of what what our our base brand does but um it's still a kind of half half what we're doing at the moment is it is it just the two of you still in the business or have you got other people involved yeah no we have an employee now who does um make most of the soap making um activities during the day and so it frees from makeup to do other tasks so yeah so 
Mika's always been the main soap maker. I've never <laughs> made any soap in my life, so that's always been a very clear divide there. But yeah, so so it's the the um, recurring tasks of making all the soap that have been taken out of his hands, which has been great because um, we really needed that to happen. And we're also in the process of working with people to start doing the the wrapping of the soaps and the stamping after they've been made, um, which is something we were still doing ourselves. And it's it's something that we often do at night because it's, you can easily do it. And if you do it during the day, it quickly takes away from all the other things that need to happen. But it's kind of building up and um, we needed to, to get other people in to do that. So we're looking into doing that now as well. Yeah, it's always exciting when you, I think it's almost like this brink where you start to realize, hold on, I we can't grow. We don't have, we've run out of time. We need to get other people involved. But then this, it's this balance between, but it's my baby. Like I don't want other people involved. It's, it's me, but you know, I, I I definitely found that hiring that first person is almost like a, like a release because then you realize, hold on, you can actually train someone else and they can do just as good a job, if not a better job than you. And that's just crucial. Have you found Have you found that to be true? Yeah, definitely. Especially for, for yeah for the the soap making. And I I often think that with the wrapping and the stamping, we we should have been doing that already. But I guess it's the logistics around it that are actually more complicated than than you would think. Because we do it very reactively. Um, when the oil comes in, we wrap the soaps and pack them. Whereas um, otherwise we would have to plan it out a bit which is what we're going to do now but it, it's I think um, a bit more complex than we thought but that's fine and it's definitely one of the tasks that we should be outsourcing because it frees us up to do to do other things that can contribute. Exactly and, and it doesn't you know one could argue that the wrapping and stamping doesn't necessarily change the dynamic of product fundamentally it's almost like a, a cosmetic layer that you've got to add on that that you know whether you do it or someone else does it it's essentially the same thing. There's no, there's no X factor that goes into it. Um, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong. I don't. I, you, you might, you might wrap wrap soaps better than anyone else, but I'm not. Sure. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. That's. I mean, I, I can spend my time doing things that are more important for the business, and yeah. Especially with your business background, you can definitely do things that are more business driven, right? Making the right decisions, uh, making marketing decisions, reaching out to the right partners. That's talking about partners. How did you find the first few retailers or was it really sort of a word of mouth through the markets, et cetera, and then reaching out to people and saying, listen, did, did you have to prove to them that you have a good product? How did that work? Um, yeah. So it's kind of been a mix. We um, have spent some, we spent some time, um, going around to stores that we thought might be interested. There is the, the type of store that, that sells a product. Um, I mean, there's a few different ones, but one that really started is the, the store that is very kind of environmentally and local product focused. So we um, targeted those and just, yeah, we just went around to talk to them, give them samples and um, went from there. Um, and we've been able to, to really keep our customers through the year so the stores that started selling a product have always gone back and and have been happy with the product so that's been great um we also have uh, like social media is also something that that people find us through and in uh, the markets as well you, you then mentioned that you also produce soaps for other 
brands for the lack of a better word or other people how did that happen how did those things sort of fall into place yeah that was also very um very lucky i guess because that's one store that's quite a larger store and we um basically make just walked in there and talked to them and went from there and they were very um, interested in the white label and very um kind of particularly in the products they want to sell and because we are so small, we can be very flexible with that. And also because Mick comes um, background, he enjoys kind of exploring new, new, new ways of doing things and new products. So we've been working really well with them and um, we have a, a lot of product that, yeah, we make only for them that are very new that we don't even, we could start selling for ourselves as well. For example, we have started making a dish block for them. So mm-hmm. that's a very new thing. We, um, so yeah, we've just been exploring that, and yeah, it's been great. Yeah, I mean, partnerships like that have the potential, like like you you were mentioning, to allow you to experiment and go into and try things that you may not have, but because this partner has this need or is willing to almost back things a little bit you're not sort of going out on limb otherwise and sort of deciding for yourself we're going to experiment with this you can work in a bit of a partnership it's always i think interesting when you when you talk to a business because um some of them just don't don't really want to share information with anyone or don't want to share anything with anyone else where there's there's a lot of others who want to collaborate and have you found that that collaboration um, to sort of change how you think about even your business as a, as a result of talking to your other partners and people who who you white label for. Um, yes, definitely. Yeah, because of products like I just mentioned that you showed, and um, we also I think when we started making shampoo bars and conditioner bars, it was for them first as well, and um, because they know better what their customers want because they're in contact with them every day um, and then they can put that through to us and then we can find out what we can do, which actually works really well. Yeah, yeah it's a nice uh, sort of symbiotic relationship where they rely on you for the product and you rely on them for their customer insights and um, what, what customers are looking for in product ideas. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, are you guys, the two of you now full-time in the business or did when did that any sort of transitions happen with with where you're spending your time and what you're working on yeah so it's um we are both now i'm only focusing on the business i am three days a week and and i make the basically time for Mick. it went kind of very gradually um he was working part-time and that kind of got less and then the business got more and then that somehow exchanged that for me it went a bit more abrupt and in march of this year um when I was still working for a boss, but um, because of COVID that ended. And it was actually really good timing because I guess I had already, we started thinking about uh, both of us focusing on the business, but to make that jump from, you know, having an extra income to just focusing on the business fully is quite scary. And I hadn't really dared to make that yet, but this kind of pushed us to do it. And yeah, it's, it's actually been been great for us because it, it worked out really well, which is not, I guess, the story you mostly hear about this, this year. <laughs> yeah, g- g- given COVID. But you touched on something that um, I found out myself as well. Sometimes, you know, it takes external pressures to push you in the right direction, whether that's losing a job or, you know, feeling just like you don't belong in, in the role that you're, you're serving. Um, yeah. 
how did you, I found when I, when I make that leap from sort of side hustle or part-time to full-time, I also found that for whatever reason, more opportunities just made themselves, made themselves available. If that sort of makes sense. Like I felt like the first month after I quit my job and went full-time into the business, I felt like all these people who I already knew suddenly reached out to me and said, actually, Jermaine, I need help with marketing. I need help with the website. And, And all I could think was, these guys could have done the same thing, you know, a month before when I was working full time, but they yeah. didn't. It, all, it almost felt like making that jump, just unlock these opportunities. Did you have a similar experience? I did. Yes. Mostly also because we are at the point where it was going really well and we knew that we could do a lot to, to grow and to change, but we just had to put the work in. And with me having another job, me running around, keeping up with the day-to-day business that just wasn't happening. And then when I did start working for the business, we did have that space and we could think about, you know, what we want in the future to happen. Like we could just make better plans and, and, and um, know better what was going on and all of that, that kind of thing. So that really did make a big difference. I also, I mentioned before that, that we're a social enterprise and I, so I might just go back to tell you the story about that real quick. So we, when we started the business, we um, kind of knew we wanted to give it an extra dimension and, to, and I was very excited about the for-profit or purpose model um, where um, a regular business redirects their profits to, to a social cause. And we had decided to do this and we basically were a social enterprise, but we didn't know that we were until we heard about the Mailhouse Ventures um, which you know about because you had Cindy Mitchell in your podcast last year. And so yes. we learned about them from someone and that's when we decided that what we we're doing was being a social enterprise. And so we did we did a program with them with them. Uh, I might yeah, so the Millers Fenge is an organization supporting business growth and impact in social enterprise. So basically we had mentors with them throughout the years and I just wanted to tell you about that going back to this because when I started working fully for Base Soaps, we kind of increased our contact with them again and had mentoring through them and found other mentors through them, which also um, really um, accelerated what we were doing this year as well. Yeah. So what's your, what, what is the social purpose or what's that extra dimension to the business? What, what, what do you guys um, try and so do? So we, the, our aim is for our profits to be redirected to health and hygiene um, programs for Australian communities, which uh, means that in our case, we're um, looking at an organization called Malpa and they have a young doctors program um, where they um, teach young people to become health leaders to their peers and their communities. So, so it's a, a curriculum-based program that they do. So, yeah, we've, we've been um, looking at them through the years and promoting their course as well. And, yeah, we aim for our profits to, to be redirected to them and, and, pro- and other organizations in the future as well when we grow. Yeah, yeah. Like social enterprises are definitely on the up, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And um, especially... Um, I feel like, you know, social enterprises, enterprises that are trying to do things more correctly, um, trying to do things um, that are good for the environment rather than trying to, you know, just take things out of the earth as much as they can are definitely on the uptick. And um, you guys definitely, definitely fit that bill. 
Hello, Future Tribe. I just wanted to take a break from this episode to talk to you, yes, you, about the fact that you are listening to this episode, but you're not subscribing. So go ahead, hit the subscribe button right now. It really helps us out. I should also ask you to join our Facebook community. There's a link in the description. Check out the YouTube channel for unedited full-length clips of the podcast. And tell your friends, ask them to subscribe. If you have any suggestions of who we should try and get on the podcast next and who we should have a conversation with, reach out to us. All our social links and contact details are in the description. That's it from me for now. Back to the episode. What do you feel like is your unique selling point versus all the other soaps out there? Um, You know, I think you'd agree when you go to a supermarket, there are a lot of soap options. It's, it's almost like paralyzing. I, I, I do this thing where I go to the shops and buy 10 bars of soap and then that lasts me for a long time. So I don't have to make that decision yeah. again for a long time, but there's everything from, you know, antibiotic soaps to moisturizing soaps to soaps that smell good to soaps that have goat's milk. H- how do you, how do you position yourself in this market and how do you see yourself um, in this market? So, um, we know that a lot of our customers um, like our product because, um, and this probably goes for most bathrooms, but because there's no plastic involved and because soap is a, is a, a daily a product that people use every day for their, their personal routine, it actually makes a big difference if you change that habit and just use bar soap. Um, also, we are very proud of um, the fact that we aim to get our ingredients as local as possible and if local is not possible as ethical as possible but though so that they come from good places and that's something that our customers really value um and the fact that that we are a social enterprise is something that um adds to that because we feel um, that empowering the customer to to do something good with their money as well as giving them the daily necessities is is something that a lot of people are starting to, to think about these days. Um, and yeah, as you can see with, like you said, social enterprises are getting a lot bigger. They're, they're massive players in this field now, such as the thank you brands and, and the, um, who gives you grab toilet paper and things like that. So I think that really tells us that, that the focus is shifting in that respect. Yeah, definitely. And you make a good point about it's, you know, it's something that everyone uses every day um, or, should be using every day, <laughs> especially with COVID. You should be using soap all the time. Um, it it's one of those things that you know you make a small difference in every single day, and over a year, that's that's a lot of soap use that um, would could have gone you know to using unethically sourced or poorly sourced ingredients, more plastics, more waste. Um, I think I, I hadn't even thought about the fact that, you know, it, it is a small thing, but it's, it's a thing that plus, you know, it's a commodity item that everyone needs, right? Everyone, everyone needs to use. So you do have that potential to almost make small change that just compounds to such a huge change moving forward, which is um, very exciting. We've talked about all the cool things that you guys are doing. I'm sure there've been missteps along the way. Do, do any missteps sort of come to mind that, that make you go, uh, you know, cringe a little bit or go, why did we make that decision? Anything yeah, come to I mind? guess everybody that runs a business have, have, has some kind of a learning curve and we definitely did. Um, yeah, so like I said, at the start, it was very much an after-hours thing and I was doing 
mostly like the administration side of things. And because I was doing it after after my day job and after taking care of my children, that was a very limited time for that. So I, I wasn't as aware as I should have been about everything that was coming in and going out, like being a manufacturing business has a lot of things like um, raw materials and, and, and labor costs and things like that. And we probably weren't as aware as we should have been about what it actually cost to make that bar of soap and also what we were actually selling as well. So since I started fully focusing on the business from the start of the year, I have um, a lot more space for that and, and be able to, to track that. But I also realized the importance of that now a lot better. I think it's a, a well-known saying that people say um, small businesses survive if their owners know exactly what's going on. And yeah, I think that's very important to remember. Yeah, keeping an eye on that. I mean, even even from a more, I guess, simpler point of view, I've heard of many, many small businesses falling apart simply because they didn't even keep an eye on the money coming in and out, you know, and they've had like a bad accountant or a bad bookkeeper skimming money off the top, let alone getting into things like raw materials, production process, um, trying to understand where your suppliers source their things from, because sometimes it's it's not possible to even just go and look at the facilities. Some some of these suppliers, I'm sure, in, in any business, including yours, would you know would shy away from it if if they if you sort of turn around and said. Can I can I see your factory? They might say actually, uh, not not really. So it makes it difficult for you because you've got to do a bit of uh, detective work to try and find the, the true source yeah. of these raw yeah, materials. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And with production process as well, um, which I realised earlier this year too, we're thinking about you know like more sales and and we were thinking, oh, hang on, what's actually our capacity in our current space? Like we were making as we were selling. But we didn't know what we could do. So our space is quite small, and we are we are looking um, hopefully sometime next year to move out to a bigger facility. But before we're doing that, I was like, well, let's find out what we can actually do here and what the maximum capacity is. So when we started looking at that, I realized that there was a lot of things that I actually didn't realize. So yeah, it's it's good to <laughs> to look at those things. Yeah, look at look at I guess what you're talking about is looking at um, almost every stage of the production process and what it takes to understand what you can optimize, what you can change, how because you know space is a resource just like time is. So it's it's good to be able to use that to its maximum yeah. potential. Um, and sort of be, and you know having the time to do that because when you were working on it part time, I'm sure it was a case of we just got to get these orders packed and in, in out there. <laughs> you know, looking into everything else is just um, it's just time that that you couldn't spare. Yeah. Um, what's the what's the production process like, and how long does it take to make a bar of soap? I don't even know where to start, so it's more of a inquisitive question from me. But tell me a little bit about that. Um, so the bar soaps, they're a um, matter of, of mixing the ingredients. There's no there's no heating or anything involved. So um, it's a very quick process to make them. They just um, mix into a liquid. Liquid gets poured into the mold and after a day it's, it's firm enough to take it out of the mold and then we cut it off and then it has to cure for at least uh, for a month for it to be a, a bar soap that we can actually sell. Because before that month, it's still very, um, you know, very soft and, and so yeah, it has to dry for a while. Yeah, right. So that would have, especially when you're starting off, added a level of complexity when you have to almost be ready a month before demand, don't you? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So we can't, you know, deliver a new bar of soap next week. It takes a bit longer than that. 
Yeah. How did you account for that? Um, I guess trial and error. We we always because we have a standard range and range, and that that enables us to make beforehand, and then mostly we have always have enough that we can sell to our wholesalers. With white label, it's a little bit different because that's just part of the process, and our white label customers understand that that's the way it is. So yeah, that's just taken into account when they're ordering. Yeah, I mean, with white label, I guess um, it's almost on them to decide how much they oh, how much they need to order in advance, um, because you know they would turn around to you and say, "We need this many, you know, bars of soap at this point," rather than you making that decision. Where um, it's really more on your end, where you've got to sort of um, balance it out. But I guess you know, after the first few years, you would have enough data for you to to be able to look at it and sort of say, okay, we know that this time of the year we sell quite well, this time of the year it's a little bit quieter and you can sort of balance things out that way as well? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we know that a bit better now. And now it's leading up to Christmas. We know that's going to be a few busy months. So we're we're busy manufacturing all the the bars for that. The liquids are a bit easier because we can do that a bit more reactive. This doesn't need to cure or anything. We can make big big containers of liquid and then change them into the different scents that are needed. So that's a bit bit easier. But yeah, definitely can um, plan it a lot better now. Yeah, yeah. It's um I've never I've always wanted to be in a or be a business that produces things, but I but I've never been never always been sort of service based, I guess. But it's it's an interesting challenge that you guys have. You can sell almost, you know, while you're asleep and and sort of make money while you're asleep, but you've got to really put in that work in advance. I mean, for you guys it's it's at least a month in advance. Um, because if it's if it's um any less, you you'll have soaps that I guess are more like uh blue tack or like gl- gooey than than actual hard soaps oh, that's right yeah exactly yeah before before we um talk about what you hope to do moving forward tell me a little bit about your fulfillment sort of process in terms of how you guys handle orders that come to you directly through your website um yeah so our website orders is something that we do ourselves and it's the same way we it, it, we have the, the, the storage phase in premium where all of our soaps are stored and usually we go there about three times a week. So when we have uh, orders in that we know need to be sent off, we'll take those bars home, wrap them, pack them and, and send them off. So it's very, um, yeah, it's very reactionary and um, it works well at the moment. If it would increase, it would be a, a bigger workload, but it's, um, it's, a, it's a good way at the moment. But it's still a smaller part of, of um, our sales like most of it is still wholesalers um, but it's it's good it's a good way for us to directly um, engage with our customers online definitely and it's a good way for you guys to keep your finger on the pulse as well at the very least to sort of know what customers like what customers don't like and what what sort of what's happening in the soaps market because otherwise you just be directed by your wholesalers which takes a little bit of that control out of your hands to an extent doesn't it yeah that's right and um i mentioned before the the one market that we were still doing is camera handmade market and they've this year gone virtual so that we've got a virtual market usually once a month, which is great as well because we we just get web orders through them um, straight to us, and it's been really good. It actually it's a it's a busy weekend even though we don't have to go anywhere and <laughs> and do anything special. So yeah, yeah, but it's all home based, and you guys still continue to um, be able to produce things and um, deliver things to customers, which is exciting. Yeah. Um, 
what do you what do you guys hope to do moving forward? Do you have any? You've you've mentioned looking at a bigger facility. Yeah. Um. You know, are you planning to add new products? What, what's what's things looking like over the next six, twelve months, or even longer? Yeah. So yeah, like you said, there in the next twelve months, we hope to move out to a bigger facility. I also aim to to put more of an emphasis on the on the social um, social purpose that we have. It's it's always been there, but it's sometimes been a bit on the background. So I aim to, to push that out to the world more and, and kind of talk about that a lot more. And um, yeah, hopefully we had that that's difficult, not difficult, but challenging period in our business where we want to move out to a facility and get more um, order customers and kind of getting that balance right is, I think, going to be a, a good an interesting challenge for the next year um, and also the, the wide label part of our business is something we are going to uh, expand as well hopefully yeah yeah it, it, it's a bit of a chicken or the egg isn't it when you're looking to expand because you want to expand your resources whether it's space or staffing to a point which is big enough that it that it matters but then you need to work out you know do you get the orders first to then get get a location but you know both of those processes can take six months and still get get nowhere so it's very chicken of the egg yeah it's very difficult and and so we started thinking about it and ran into it we were thinking like how do how do other people do that but i think it's just a balancing act and um um we just have to tread carefully there and and make sure we do it the right way but um yeah, I'm sure we'll we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, no, you you definitely will. I think um that's something that we we continue to sort of battle with even even um at Future Theory trying to work out. You know, we want to go to an office that's twice as big, but do we hire the people and then squish them into our current office? Um and then you know say okay guys like give, give us the next twelve months we'll find a location so that you guys don't have to sit on each other's laps. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Yeah, that's tricky. <laughs> it is very tricky. It's a balancing act. But business is tricky. Business isn't supposed to be, you know, easy. Business takes a lot of work and thinking and talking. So um, where can people find out more about uh, Base Soaps and what you guys do? Yeah, um, on our website, www.basesoaps.com.au and our social media as well. Fantastic. Um, are you ready for the top 12? I am, yes. <laughs> okay, let's get into it. Top three books or podcasts that you recommend? Yeah, so I wrote down one book that I will say straight away that I haven't finished it yet, but I've already found it very interesting. It's called The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. And it's it's kind of about how, how business is an infinite game. It just always keeps going. But a lot of people think about it as a finite game. So it's a very different mindset. So I find it very interesting to read about. And the other two I wrote down were podcasts. So I really like kind of inspirational stories from people. And one I really enjoy is the Lady Startup Stories. Um, That's a podcast from Mamma Mia. And the other one I really like is the Big Magic podcast by Elizabeth Gilbert. Um, I think a lot of people know about Elizabeth Gilbert and her book, Big Magic, but I was particularly um, excited about the podcast that came with the book because it talks about you know, people specifically and their, their um, creative journey. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, awesome. Um, there's some recommendations that we haven't had before, which is nice. <laughs> um, top three software tools that you can't live without. Yeah, so um, the first one is Trello. 
I don't know if that needs any more explanation. I feel like a lot of people are using it these days, but yeah, it's basically my brain dumps on my screen, which I love. And um, I feel very free <laughs> because of it, I guess. <laughs> the other one is, um, um, it's a manufacturing resource software, which is basically the reason that I now know what's going on in my business. I think there's a, there's a lot of different ones out there. And for us, it was just the, um, the challenge to find the right one like the small ones for really small businesses that are mostly they're kind of Etsy businesses and then there's massive ones so I felt it was kind of a, a, a task to find the right one because we're kind of in the middle of that and so the one I found was called MRP easy and yeah we just put everything in there all our recipes all our raw materials all our sales and it's made all the difference yeah wow wow is there a third one yes there is the third one <laughs> Um, I had to laugh when I wrote it down. It's in a, a zero extension called Hubdocs, which they added um, at the start of the year, which for some reason, I find it very hard to keep track of all my receipts. I don't know why. It should not be that difficult, but somehow I wasn't. Uh, it was just very hard. And then Hubdocs has, um, you can just scan and, you know, it, it matches it up and, and it just takes that, that task away, which is great. Of that. I actually have a, a fourth one as well, which, yeah. if that's all right. <laughs> yeah, of course. Which I use for my personal um, finance called Pocketbook, which I love because it's a, a budgeting app and it keeps track of all your expenses. Yeah, it's. Um, I guess this is this software question really goes to show that it's it's very important to keep track of things and keep and account for everything, whether it's your your raw materials, whether it's your business processes or your receipts, <laughs> um, <laughs> or, or even your personal finance. Love it. Um, top three mantras you try and live by. Yeah. So I um I don't know if that's really mantras, but I wrote down three sentences that really resonate with me and that I have to remember all the time because I tend to forget about these things, which the first one is to think about the long-term gain, you know, when you're doing small little re recurring tasks that are just boring, you think you need to remember why you're doing it. The second one is to review and evaluate what you've done, especially in our, in our business journey. It's sometimes easy to forget where, how far we've gone in this last few years. And then the last one is to trust yourself and to know that when something feels right it's usually right so fantastic <laughs> fantastic and the last one top three people you follow or study and why yeah so again i kind of <laughs> answered that question a bit differently because i couldn't really think about three specific people but i just thought i wanted to point out some businesses so I guess the people behind the businesses would be the ones that I really admire so I really inspired by businesses that are changing the landscape and doing things differently at the moment on my radar I kind of it's a bit of a, <laughs> a different direction but the businesses that that make alcohol-free drinks and make alcohol-free drinking um, a lot more mainstream and this is something that I think has made a huge leap in the last maybe two years so the three that are on my radar at the moment are there's a, a beer called Soba, S-O-B-A-H, which I love. There's a camera one called Heaps Normal, which I love that business name, by the way. <laughs> and then um, there's Altina, who they sell alcohol-free drinks. And they were actually at the Mailhouse um, mentoring program at the same year as we were. So I think that's that's a great, yeah. There are, I guess they're all social enterprises in their way, um, by contributing positively to, to the community. And then the second one I, I 
think the big social enterprises that I've already mentioned before that kind of paved the way for all of us, like Thank You and Who Kicks the Crap. And then there's also a hat business called Will and Bear. And they're also social enterprise. And yeah, I love all of those businesses. Yep. Yeah, no, fantastic. The, the, the point of this question is to try and identify, you know, accounts that can be followed, for example. So that very yeah. much answers that because I'm sure all of these organizations and businesses have um, presences out there that yeah. you can follow and learn from and see what they're doing. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, it didn't matter whether it's people or businesses. There's ultimately people behind these businesses anyway. So, yeah. That's fantastic. Thanks for this. Thanks for, uh, you know, coming on this episode. Um, it's been awesome to talk to you. 